Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts. My name was and continues to be Chris Chafin. My name is and will always will be Caleb Shively, the name of the host of SME. <laughs> Did you say the host of SME? Captain Hook's um, sidekick, SME? I said of SME, so yeah, of SME. Of SME, um, yeah. Bob, I always Bob, had a soft spot for SME if we're being like totally it's a, real. It's a Bob Hoskins role in Hook. It is true. It is Bob Hoskins and Hook, and he does a good job. This is continue. This is more support for my position that Smee is cool and like. And that Bob Hoskins is one of the great uh, film actors of all time. Yeah, it's true. Um, so every week on actually Best Choice Movies, we, which is the show you're listening to, in case you were not clear, if if you meant to be on another podcast, you should definitely hang up and call that podcast. Is that the correct way to say no, it? No, they should they should stay and then. Give it another like twenty minutes, like, at least until we get to our point, and then yeah, okay. you know, peace out. And we'll get it. We'll get to it quick. So every week we talk about two movies. One of them's old, one of them's new, and they fit together. You know, like different races of people in the great big melting pot that is the United <laughs> States of America. <laughs> that is a that is the uh, Brooklyn inner neighborhood of uh, Lexington and Quincy Avenue. Yeah. Um, so this week we're talking about two films by Spike Lee. There, it's the brand new Netflix original, *The Five Bloods*, which just, uh, as we're recording, went on Netflix today. And, we're, and then we're also talking about 1989's *Do the Right Thing*, an absolute fucking all-time classic. Not to all-time classic, super relevant to what is going on in our world right now. Two great Spike Lee joints. Yeah, it's very true. That's all this week on actually best choice movies. Movies. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're going to keep it brief in this part of the show tonight, but uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about, we're doing two Spike Lee movies. Uh, wh- why are we doing this, Caleb? Why are we doing this? Because, uh, well, one, well, the world is fucking wild right now, as we've seen uh, black men get murdered on the streets and do the right thing is super relevant to that, besides being one of the best movies, uh, instant classics of, uh, I don't know, it's like one of the best movies I feel ever. I mean, it is uh, amazingly relevant to today, and then, right? I mean, uh, it, it's and then like a, eerily relevant eerily relevant and then he had a movie come out <laughs> on netflix today which is like uh me and chris were going to do another movie then we realized this was coming out and we're like oh let's just do that and record it on friday and edit it as much as we can on the weekend and make it harder for us because we really want to because we love spike lee it is true we are putting ourselves through uh pain and torture to in order to do the best show for you the viewer and to pay tribute to spike lee who i think we both mm-hmm. admire like do you, insanely a, a lot do you remember the first spike lee movie you saw Oh my gosh! The first Spike Lee movie. Well, the first time I was aware of him as a person would have been uh, "It's Got to Be the Shoes," like those ads. Like, yeah, 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 for real. Yeah. Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Because those were just on TV. Like you didn't have to be a fan of Spike Lee to consume mm-hmm. all that stuff. I knew about him through uh, just him being a Knicks fan and uh, the whole uh, Reggie Miller chokehold him in uh, eight eight points nine seconds thing, which was amazing. Uh, and then. Yeah, the, gotta be the shoes. Oh, wait, and then, say more about that. What 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 is that like? What what are you talking about exactly? Oh, Reggie Miller uh, at Madison Square Garden scored uh, eight points in nine seconds to beat the Knicks. It's an amazing feat of a uh, thing, and uh, Spike was in his face the whole time because that's what Spike does at Knicks games. Uh, and Reggie gave him put his hands around his, his throat and gave him right at Spike the choke. It's a legendary thing. I think there's a thirty for thirty about it. Specifically, that game. That's so wild. <laughs> that nine seconds. <laughs> it's a so crazy wild. thing. Uh, um, but uh, love the fact that he's a Knicks fan to put himself through that much torture. You know, I 
as I was watching these movies, I thought Caleb must interact with Spike on a whole different level than me because of his like insane basketball fandom. Like that, he must have a whole different way of interacting with the whole idea of Spike Lee than I do, because I, of course, oh. do not know anything about sports, and I don't particularly have any interest in knowing anything. You respect his opinion, but also you see him as a fan. So just like, oh, he's just being a fan. Like, but I get it. Like, the Knicks are one of the worst franchises, and he has he's probably. Easily their most famous fan. I mean, um, I think he recently said he calculated how much he spent since like the early '90s when he first couldn't afford going to Knicks games courtside. I think it's like uh, an obscene amount. Uh, he must be like half a million dollars. Or something dollars. Or, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's wild, dude. I cannot imagine how um, much season ticket courtside seats to the Knicks for thirty years costs. Knicks are expensive. <laughs> Plus, was he, factor, was he factoring? Was he factoring in like uh, snacks? You know, like <laughs> you might have hooked him up. I mean, he's friends uh, friends with the uh, ushers and stuff. That was actually a thing that came up this year, which we don't have to go into because this is not a sports <laughs> podcast. It's a it seems podcast, like it is now. But, yeah. I don't know. It seems like it is now. <laughs> uh, but I remember the first Spike Lee movie I saw. Uh, it was uh, Get on the Bus, which oh, I just yeah. caught randomly on like a. Uh, I think we had like a free trial of Stars one weekend. It was like when it first like new so it was like 96 or whatever have you ever heard of racism and discrimination it's the 1990s racism is a figment of the black man's imagination brothers we are moving into the next millennium the year 2000 is here now we got to move into the future if i'm lying how you explain a man like colin powell Huh? The white man never kept him down. Colin Powell made it in spite of racism, not because it doesn't exist. You know, the tongue. Say it again, loud. I was just kind of blown away by it. Just uh, it introduced so many like different types of African American characters to me. Uh, and then like, okay, this is what Spike Lee is, and I've always heard about Do the Right Thing, and I remember seeking out Do the Right Thing. I was like maybe ten ish at this time, uh, and then seeing uh, Do the Right Thing at that age like absolutely blew my mind <laughs> at age 10 yeah i can't yeah, wait too yeah. early to see that film wait till you're 11 to see but not really i mean i'm sure it was good to see at, at that age because it, it then it's helping form the way you view those kinds of things for your you know, like literally really, your whole life you know and that's uh, a good thing definitely and it as as a person as a as i knew who spike was as a person uh it helped me like bring the idea of what auteurism too, which is a, 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 a him and Mel Brooks were like the first people I knew were like directors who were like, Oh wait, these people are the people that make the films. And that's like a, as a, as a cool concept to me. Uh, and still is a cool concept. To me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's funny you brought up, bring on the, or get on the bus because I've been thinking about that movie a lot the last week as we've been talking about spike and stuff, because that was one of like the early spike movies I saw also. I mean, I would have mm-hmm. been, that movie came out in what, 96? 96, 96 yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I would have been like 14. So I might have seen another Spike Lee movie before that. But I remember like seeking that movie out because I both um, was a huge fan of Homicide Life on the Street. So I loved <laughs> Andre Brower. Like I loved him in that show. And I was like so excited to see him in a movie. And also I had watched like almost the whole show of Rock, but like not entirely. <laughs> so I also loved him. And I loved that I was going to see the both of them in a movie together. I was like super pumped. <laughs> but <laughs> Um, that, that, I mean, talking about movies that shape your understanding of like race issues and racial relations. I mean, that was one for me, get on the bus. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like a corny nineties, like po- very positive movie about race relations as I remember, or, or am I totally misremembering? Oh, you're right. You're right. It's, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's about men going on a, a bus to the million man March. 
Uh, and it's very, like, Spike hits these very maudlin tones in all his movies, but he just, as a director, just, as we'll talk about as the next two movies, but he just throws a ton of ideas into a movie. Yeah. And some of those are just, like, very sappy and maudlin. Some of them are just, like, very righteous and angry, and some of it's just, like, he's underrated as a funny person, too. Uh, he just does so much within a film. I totally think you're right. Like, and I think that that's one of the strengths of both of these movies is that like, he's so good at creating a diverse group of characters in the film that all seem very intelligent and all totally make sense, but they all have completely different points of view. And you can make yourself crazy trying to think like, well, which of these is the one Spike Lee is telling me is the way I should think. But Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that he often like actually comes down on a side. It's like, he's such a genius at just presenting 10 different ways to look at something and then making them all seem equally valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll speak for both of us. We're, I just watched uh, the five bloods a couple hours ago. And that's like what, what we're saying is like, he gives you so many point of views that like, it, it's really hard to wrap my mind around. So like, as we talk about the five bloods in a, in a second here, uh, it's, you're going to hear us. Well, me, I'll speak for me now. Uh, just like coming to terms of like what I thought of this movie. Cause there's like a lot, well, do you want to get right into it? Do you want to get into it now? Yeah. Do you want to shout out any more Spike Lee films that you like? I like Bamboozled. Four Girls is a great documentary. Yeah, uh, Chirac great. was an underrated one. I never saw Chirac. Uh, I didn't Black like what I saw from the trailers and stuff. It seemed like... It's underrated. Uh, a, a thing I love about Spike uh, is that he's always independent. Yeah. Uh, I actually like School Days, which I know I'm always... I always have like weird songs from School Days stuck in my head, um, which is like a movie nobody talks about ever. And it, I don't know, maybe it doesn't really hold up. It's his second movie. It's a musical about... It, it takes place at a historically black university and it's like frat boys and sorority girls fighting with each other. And it's like, I just... It's kind of lighthearted in a certain way, but in another sense, not at all. You know, it's also completely about race, which is... Uh, I remember it's a lot of the same cast that is in uh, Do the Right Thing, like uh, Ossie Davis and yeah. uh, Giancarlo Esposito is really good in that movie, I remember. Uh, Joey Lee. Uh, yeah, Bill Nunn. It's, it's like if Whit Stillman made Everyone Says I Love You and was black. Like, that's what School Days is like. And also, I like Inside Man, which is like completely on the other end of the spectrum. Oh, that's yeah, that's like, his uh, yeah. most budgeted uh, film, probably. Yeah. I, you know, I love the movies that he's been making in the last like 10 years or so. And I, and including mm-hmm. this movie, we're going to talk about it in just a minute, in just a second, I swear to God. But like, um, I do also like to imagine this parallel universe where Spike just started making like big budget genre movies like semi-anonymously for uh big studios because he's so good at it like i kind of wish he made like five more of those movies because they're just so entertaining and they're it's so smart and it's like because a movie like a movie like inside man there's like they make a million movies like that in hollywood but mostly they're stupid and they are boring and they suck but when spike (laughs) lee makes one it's great i really (laughs) wish he would do more of them yeah i would say like his maybe best distillation between that big budget and small is 25th hour, which is, I think we all agreed is the best post nine 11 movie. Like, I mean, I actually kind of don't like 25th hour. I know everybody likes it. I like it in a certain way. I don't like all the like cringy soliloquizing about what sway means. Like the, there's like a lot of that kind of shit in the movie. And I, I don't like that. On the inverse of that, what if he like became more just a fiercely independent director and just 
started making these uh, documentaries only because he's a great documentarian. I mean, that's kind of where he's at now is he makes, I mean, this is a big Netflix movie, but it's like, I don't know. He makes movies that are his own sensibility. I feel like, you know, and he completely unapologetically does that. And I, and I find that really admirable, even if I don't always love the resulting movies, but I I think it's. Oh, I I agree. I I don't always, uh, I was thinking earlier that like, I never fully, I mean, I do, uh, I do love do the right thing a lot, but, I never fully outright love a lot of his movies, but I always thoroughly enjoy, and there's probably sequences in every single one of his movies that I absolutely love. Yeah. So he's just like a director that, like, again, like he's controversial because co- that's the point, uh, and it makes you think, and it's just a person who should be celebrated as a film director. Yeah, so let's talk about his new movie, shall we? Uh, it's called Defive Bloods. It's a Netflix original, and... Uh... This is it, man. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Set mostly in the present day, but with flashbacks to the Vietnam War, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods follows four black veterans, Otis, Paul, Melvin, and Eddie, as they return to Vietnam to retrieve the body of the fifth blood, Norman, who was their leader slash spiritual figurehead slash the fifth blood. Also, gold. They return to find gold they hid. Uh, The gold was intended for a native tribe, but they decided to keep the gold for themselves because of the years of depression and the undeniable fact that uh, at the time, black males were 9% of the U.S. population and yet were 32% of Vietnam soldiers. Four men are each characters themselves and help live in a fairly stock plot. Uh, the men go through the Vietnam jungle and face their demons while coming to terms with their past. They fight with one another, but ultimately deepen the bond. But Spike Lee. Spike Lee adds his signature style, such as throwing in still shots of old protesters and Aretha Franklin, but he ultimately paints a muddled picture of his protagonists. For example, Paul, played by Del Rolindo, is a MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporter with the reasoning behind that being some form of PTSD. Uh, His son David is thrown in there as a fifth member of this ragtag crew and also stands in for a younger generation audience surrogate. Spike Lee sees the atrocities of war as part of the same system that violates black communities today. And in The Five Bloods, he offers these American soldiers some sentimentalization. Is it feelings, themes that we're about to work through? Yes, let's get into it. Uh, Chris, how are you feeling on the latest Spike Lee joint? Yeah, so, I mean, this movie's been getting, like, absolutely fantastic reviews. Uh, and I think there's a good reason for that. I mean, I think it really effectively captures something about, you know, the moment that we're living in right now. Obviously, we're like, you know, there's Black Lives Matter protests all over the country, you know, especially here where we are in, in, in New York. I think they're, they're happening every day, you know, multiple ones are happening all day, every day. You know, part of Seattle has been like taken over by some kind of anarchist collective, you know, quote unquote. Um, and we're just going through this this moment, I feel, where there's lots of, and, you know, there's anger and there's a sense of like reevaluating history and there's a sense of like dredging up things that are maybe uncomfortable that we don't want to think about and trying to find a way to like get right with those things and move forward as a 
you know, as a society. And I think all of that is captured like pretty well, like emotionally and in this movie. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that it's getting the reviews that it's getting is it's like, it feels, you know, it, it feels right to watch this movie right now. Um, that said, you know, it's, it's also like, a, and it's not perfect, obviously. Like one of the stories of the movie is that it's like, it's, it's a script that had been bouncing around written by the screenwriters of the Rocketeer that was like with Disney. And it was just kind of a straightforward, like action movie where these people. Yeah. Went, those guys names were Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. The Rocketeers are based on it, but they also are known for just direct-to-horror videos. Like, that's their other big thing. <laughs> yeah, so it was just like a movie about, you know, regular guys, a.k.a. white guys, going back to get this gold. And, you know, it's something, it's like, you know, it, it's like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and it's like Platoon. And, you know, it's basically like, you know, you're seeing these people go crazy as they transport all this gold through the jungle. Like, that's all pretty stock. Like you were saying, it's stock stuff, but then it's like Spike took this script and he injected so much current day Spike Lee stuff into it. Um, By which I mean, like uh, it starts off with just like a montage about black history and, you know, telling you said really setting the scene for 1968 in, in a way that like, kind of in a way that you've seen a million times before, but also kind of in a way that's unique, you know, it's kind of both at the same time. I feel like ever since I feel like Black Klansman does a lot of the same stuff too, where it's like, you know, I, I imagine myself as a younger person. Like if I was a young white person that, you know, the 10 year olds you were, you and me were talking about, like, I feel like movies like this and Black Klansman would be really important because they do have revolutionary ideas about race relations and they do have like untold parts of American history. Um, but they're also just kind of like big action movies. And, and also the history stuff that is in them is like, you probably know it already. I mean, like if you're an adult who's like at all, you know, paying attention, like you must know almost all of this stuff. But I, I, but I think about the people that it would be useful for, which are like, you know, young people. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I realize I said a lot. I don't know. I like, I mean, it's an, it's a complicated movie because on one level it's like, it's so compelling and, uh, and vital of for the moment. But on another level, it's like, it's kind of like an action movie set in it's, Vietnam, you know? Like, yeah, um, they openly opine at the beginning of the movie about being Rambo. And then there is, after a course of two hours of a lot of dialogue and other stuff, it turns into like this really action. It's like a hangout movie between four old grumpy guys that turns into an action thriller by the end. Uh, and that does take a lot with some fun liberties in that within that transition. And when it finally turns into the action thriller, I mean, it, it's more sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's kind of meh. But, you know, it's uh, like you said, it's a complicated movie. Spike is a uh, doesn't really give you uh, he offers many viewpoints. Uh, they're, they're war. It's a war movie about war veterans. That's the fa- fact. Yeah. <laughs> but the but they're called the, they call themselves the bloods. Uh, they didn't they weren't there to fight for democracy they were like tools of the war uh that's what spike establishes like with them being black men in the war uh but he doesn't really play with that what it means to be black during vietnam but it plays more as black veterans get to go looting again well the way Uh, it does it is like the stuff of them just saying like they didn't care about us you know like black men or you know whatever it's like 11% of the population, but 32% of the people fighting in Vietnam. And like, we're, they always put us in the front line. Like we we don't matter. And now they're back at it. Now they're back in the country and they have a little bit of anger. Well, a lot of anger. Uh, 
And honestly, I wish uh, this is the first time this happened in a long time. God bless you, Spike Lee, that I wish I saw this on the big screen because that yeah. like those performances would have popped more. Like that anger would have just came out so more righteous. Uh, and well, wait, like, I mean, talking about the performances, I mean, we have to say like, oh, sure. Delroy Lindo in this movie playing Paul, the like yeah, MAGA Trump supporting. I mean, he is just like dumb. It's his movie like this. Yeah. Nobody comes close to being as compelling as he is in the movie. Mm-hmm. He is the star uh, of the movie. Anytime he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off him. You don't know what kind of crazy thing he's going to do next. And he and he despite how crazy he's seeming and his performance is so dialed up to 11 he's always twitching and blinking and sweating and like screaming he always also seems kind of right like everything he says seems right even when he's saying something that you hate and you definitely disagree with you're like "Mm, he probably is right also (laughs) well he just oh the uh he dominates the group uh he uh doesn't isn't necessarily the de facto leader uh he's maybe like the Raphael, the hot-headed one uh but uh, he also comes off as the most vulnerable within the group, too. Uh, he clearly suffers from flashbacks. He talks about his flashbacks where he sees uh, Norman, uh, the uh, soldier played by Chadwick Boseman, that they're there to go find his body. And he also has the most anger, uh, and his son come, becomes involved. He also has the most love for Norman, too, which I thought was very interesting. But yeah, yeah Delroy yeah. Lindo, as, as an actor, uh, this is his first Spike Lee movie since... I don't know. Uh, he was in the once in the '90s, Clockers. Uh, he yeah. was Woody in Brooklyn. Uh, West Indy Archie. Uh, Malcolm X. I think maybe Malcolm X was probably his last Spike movie. But um, yeah, this is if, if we're doing any Oscar takes, if, if we're having Oscars, put Delroy Lindo. That's like the first thing I've seen. They're like, yeah, that that's that's Oscar. That's I mean, Oscar. it's an amazing performance. It really is. And I have you're not the first person I've heard say that. Like, is he going to win an Oscar for this movie? Like, maybe. It's 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 a great it's a great great performance. Um, and you know, he's somebody who like, I have read that this part of the story of the movie is the story of like showcasing Delroy Lindo because he, it's not like he hasn't been getting work. Actually, I watched it with my wife and she was like, Oh, that's the guy from the good wife. She's like, he's so good in the good wife. And she went on about like how, like all the stuff he does in the good wife. That's like really good. She's like, Oh, he's always like, he has this way of kind of like winking a little bit after he says something kind of sarcastic that's just like oh it's like perfect it's so good so he's been like fucking dominating prestige network television i haven't uh, honestly like remembered him from too much recently i was like trying to think of the last thing i saw him and i'm an idiot so i thought of there was a simpsons episode where he was uh, gabriel the angel <laughs> yeah yeah well it wasn't he wasn't an angel but they, homer just assumed he was an angel because he was a black man Right, exactly. But no, yeah, he's been tearing it up on The Good Wife. That's what he's been doing, you know. I'm sure, like, cashing checks, like major checks. Um, But no, he's so good. He's so good. And also, you know, Chadwick Boseman is, like, pretty good. He's okay. I mean, he's supposed to be playing, like, someone who's basically perfect. Like, the most intelligent, brave, and soulful. It's almost like a Uh, Christ figure. I mean, they literally do say at one point, like, he mm -hmm. died for us, like... But I think his best moments were, like, he played it also that he was a leader, but also kind of still terrified to be in war a little bit, too, which is, you know, you should be. (laughs) I always Uh, feel bad. I always am glad to see Chadwick doing something that's, like, outside of a Marvel movie. I know know, there are all those viral pictures of him looking so sad to have to do the Black Panther salute, like, constantly. (laughs) So I'm always, like, rooting for him to get to do stuff outside of that mold and to really, like, make a name for himself outside of that world. He went from being uh, the the go-to biopic guy. He was Jackie Robinson. He was uh, James Brown. uh, (laughs) Then he went to Wakanda Forever. 
Uh, but yeah, he's a, a great actor. I've seen him do some bullshit stuff, which is, I think he was really good in uh, the movie Draft Day, which is the one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I love it so much because it's oh so stupid and doesn't even exist. Draft yeah, he's a, Oh my god! Uh, I just like to say about that, he's in his as the actor Chadwick Boseman is in his late thirties at the time of the filming, and he plays a uh, person about to be drafted in the NFL, so he's supposed to be a play a twenty-two year old. Well, he does it well, but it just doesn't make it. That's so dumb. Um, <laughs> part of the way the movie's organized, it's not split evenly in, in any sense of the word, but it's like it mostly takes place in the present, and occasionally there's flashbacks to what they were doing in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the funny things that this movie does is like all of the actors, all of the old actors are also themselves in the flashbacks, which yeah. I think is like a, such a great choice in a million different ways. Like number one, it's like it, it, you don't have to hire extra actors. You don't have to do any CGI. Also, it it's like kind of says something interesting about memory because it's like they are their current selves in the memories of being in Vietnam, whereas the one who died is always young. And I think that was like really honest and an interesting thing about the way you remember stuff because you always kind mm-hmm. of are yourself, you know. Yeah, uh, Lee uh, actually spoke about this in an interview. I forget with where. Sorry, publication. But Lee, in an interview, was asked about it, and he said, sure, it was partly because of budget, but he also said it, he wanted to show the physical impact that war actually has on veterans. Um, and there is this line in the movie uh, that a character says that uh, once you're in a war, it never ends. Uh, so that, like, when I heard, like, I was, like, kind of iffy on that whole thing just because it, like, made Chadwick Brosman look like he was preaching to old guys. Uh, but when that line hit, I was like, oh, I get I get that now. Uh, like it, it's war, war is forever. You, you live with it forever. It's uh, yeah, that's, that's what this whole movie, like, it helped land the entire movie to me. Uh, very good line because Spike's an amazing writer. But yeah, uh, it, it ultimately turned out to be a, a great choice. And I just spoiled that for everybody with that line. No, you didn't spoil it at all. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're trying not to spoil it uh, so we won't get into like the nitty gritty of it, but there's a lot of uh, cool stuff in it, uh, but it is a very dialogue-heavy movie. There is big action and a lot of violence. Yeah, like I guess almost almost the entire last act is like gunfights yeah. of the jungle. But until mm-hmm. then, I mean, like you're saying, like I really loved the basically the whole first act is just the old mm-hmm. guys hanging out in uh, Vietnam together and it's getting cool, in yeah. fights and like remembering stuff and arguing with each other and doing like the world's most banal things. Like it shows them leaving a city on a, like a water taxi basically. And it plays like ride of the Valkyries, like apocalypse now. And it's like, but what they're, they're just like these old fat guys on this, you know, boat. It's like almost mm-hmm. the kind of thing they would do in wild hogs, but like not quite, you know, it's, like, <laughs> but it's kind of has that energy, you know, like here are these old oh, fat yeah. idiots who think they're about to do something cool, but actually they're really lame. <laughs> I would say that, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, that Lee is like underrated as a guy who's funny. Uh, but there is like a couple like things I laughed out loud at. I mean, Black Klansman's I think super funny movie. Uh, but in the early scene that we were just talking about, uh, like they go to a club, but the establishing shot at the club it says "Apocalypse Now Budweiser." <laughs> so funny it's so funny and then it's, it's so just good. the main the four main characters these like 65 year old black guys doing like oh this yeah really silly kind of da- old guy dances in the club but like they look kind movie, of yeah. cool but also they look really dumb <laughs> a cool thing about this movie as the, uh, we mentioned they do uh flashbacks the flashbacks are the academy box ratio and 16 millimeter and when they go to like the new ones it's like a more widescreen uh and sometimes the uh transition between those is very obvious where they just like mechanically show the screen shrinking 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I thought that was but, fun. I mean, I don't know. How else would you? I liked it when it, it was like Star Wars. Like it like oh, yeah. shrank from the outside to the inside. Uh, but the once uh, they established they did, they just like kind of abandoned it, which is like, okay, cool. We get that. Um, i mean definitely it definitely had moments you know i was reading something today on twitter where it was a barry jenkins quote about how like you can make a record for five thousand dollars and it'll sound as good as any record that exists his example was frank ocean's blonde and uh but making a movie is so expensive like no matter what you do it's so expensive to make a movie and i was Mm -hmm. kind of thinking of that watching this film because i know spike is somebody who like you know, he, even though he's had such a long and successful career, he does sometimes have trouble getting movies made. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you always know that spike is like having to stick to his budget. I mean, and do the right thing, which we're going to talk about soon. That was like one of the main things was like, nobody liked the content of the movie, but they were like, look, just make it for the budget. And then we'll just see what happens. You know? So there are some parts in the movie that like look a little cheap, but there also are parts in the movie that like, are good like obviously he saved all the money for the like three helicopter shots through the jungle <laughs> and like doing they must have shot on location in some kind of somewhere they obviously oh, yeah. are they're in a they're in some kind of jungle i don't know if they're really in uh vietnam or if they're in like hawaii or what you know but it might be in vietnam yeah there's a lot of beautiful boat scenes uh yeah when they, uh are first uh finding the treasure uh they like are in this beautiful mountain valley oh my god it's so uh, one beautiful. of the uh, Eddie, one of the uh, the Norm Lewis character, uh, has a camera and is like taking pictures, and they show some of his photographs. They go to uh, that yeah, amazing that waterfall, too, yeah. like in the in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess we should. Yeah, Eddie, Norm Lewis, uh, the two characters uh, uh, from The Wire. Uh, you got Clark Peters who plays Otis, and Isaiah Whitlock who plays uh, Melvin. Isaiah uh, Whitlock is so in, good in this movie. Yeah, He's they're great. both in Chirac too. They're both veterans of Spike movies. I think Isaiah was in. Uh, Oh, get on the bus and Black Klansman. He's uh, in a bunch of his movies, and he yeah, does. Uh, he does say shit. He does say shit. He has one of his a uh, very long shit one. I was. Yeah, that's the thing that Spike's very very funny. Where like he'll just do stuff like that. Uh, there's all this. This cracked me up. Is when uh, Vietnam soldiers come up to Vietnam. They say they're officials. Uh, they say they ha- they're licensed to, uh, and oh, they confront yeah. them about uh, the treasure. It's like, okay, let me see your badges. We don't have no official badges. He's like, we don't <laughs> need no stinking official badges. And I'm like, is he really just throwing in like a fucking Blazing Saddles reference in this? Like, like that's not funny to most people, but like to me, that's that's so fucking funny. I can't believe he has like a direct reference to Blazing Saddles, and it's like a very tense scene where it's like a, there's about to be a gunfight, and there's like this really dumb Blazing Saddles. Even more. Like I'm, I'm like still cracking up about it right now because I can't believe he did that. It's so stupid! It's so stupid. <laughs> that's Spike's after my. Uh, he, he's got he's got my vote there. Well, it's just it's, it's one of those really times weird. where Spike is like you know he's reminding you that he's like a 65 year old guy, you know, like every, you could mostly forget it. Well, actually this is one of the things I wanted to say about this movie is I admire how much spike has like continued reinventing himself and continued to reinvent the way he makes film. And like his idea of what a film can be like, I, like I was saying like black Klansman, this movie stops itself several times to do like PowerPoint presentations about race history, where it's just like still images and you're hearing quotes. And then it's showing you newspaper 
headlines. And it, it doesn't, I mean, it sort of has to do with the movie, but really it's just Spike Lee wanting to directly educate you about race relations. And I feel like uh, this is like kind of a new thing in his newer movies, wanting to do this like extremely directly. And I think that's cool because it's like kind of awkward and it's like you, you, it challenges your ideas of like how a, a movie like this should go, but it also, and, mm-hmm. and it's also just like, you know, it's so hard to keep yourself interested and keep yourself trying new things as you get to be older. I mean, I'm only 37 and I feel that way. And Spike Lee is like literally twice as old as me. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, that's amazing. I really, really admire that. Uh, to speak to like to how he's uh, pushing himself. Uh, he used to always work with the same uh, cinematographers, editors, and those people have gone, gone on to do great stuff themselves, but he worked with uh a new cinematographer and a new editor here. Uh, he worked with uh, Newton Thomas Siegel shot this movie. Uh, uh, he shot Drive, which is a movie we all think looks amazing. That movie is a gorgeous movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, he, al- uh, he also does uh, most Brian Singer. Fuck Brian Singer. But he did a lot of his movies. So he did all the X-Men, most of the X-Men movies. He also did Three Kings, which is, a, I thought, a very beautifully shot movie, too. Um and then his editor for this one was uh, Adam Goh, who edited uh, Roma, which I, I'm a big Roma fan. So, uh, yeah, Spike always, if you're a cinematographer editor, you want to work with cool people, you, Spike Lee comes knocking. That's a cool, that's very cool. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, like, he's a playground director. Like, he's a sandbox. He has his own, like, language and uh, uh, visual style that, like, oh, cool, I get to do a Spike Lee film. That's uh, an edit of Spike Lee film. That's a very, very cool calling card on your resume. Um, I agree. And I was going to ask you if you had other things you wanted to say about this movie. Uh, I did love this one shot. It's a big moment. Uh, it's when the uh, five soldiers, they're in, it's in 1968, they're in the, the thick of the jungle. And over the radio, they learn about Martin Luther King's assassination. And they Spike does, he splits the screen into five. Uh, and you see all their reactions. He holds it for like a good couple seconds. And it's, uh, I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's cool. <laughs> cool shot. Cool. I love cool shots. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to talk about that? Our next movie this week is 1989, also directed by Spike Lee and starring Spike Lee. It's Do the Right Thing. Universal Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee. Good morning, Miss Mother's sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's going to be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years. Sal's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. Hey, Sal, I'm going to burn up on a wall here. Spike Lee's third film, 1989's Do the Right Thing, is the most realistic, humanistic, impressionistic, optimistic, and pessimistic movie about race relations, Brooklyn, police, you know, everything. Issues that are extremely, extremely vital right now. I mean, watching this film in 2020, I mean, my wife and I just turned to each other and said, I cannot... I literally cannot believe that we're still going through exactly the same things that we were going through at this point. And, it, and they weren't new at when this movie was made, right? It's like police choke, choking a man to death, which causes, you know, riots among people that normally get along with each other, you know, or do they, it's, it's sad. And it's also hopeful in a certain way. I mean, it's, it's, it's an absolutely divine movie Every frame is perfect from beginning to end. Uh, and I, I I have loved it a very long time. I mean, a running motif in the movie is one of a character who's selling uh, 
a picture that is of uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X shaking hands and smiling. And of course, these are people who are generally taken to have like completely opposite views about race relations in the United States. And, you know, one Malcolm X being more militant, right? And Martin Luther King Jr. being nonviolent and, you know, finding a way forward together through love, right? And the ideas of love and hate working together, that's the Radio Rahim speech I was talking about before, where it's like he gives this cool thing about the story of life is the story of love and hate, you know, together. And the movie, you know, ends with opposing quotes from Martin and Malcolm about violence and race relations. And I think the the sign of the intelligence of this movie and of Spike Lee is that it perfectly holds these opposing viewpoints at the same time and treats them with equal seriousness and makes them both seem right. And it can be bewildering to watch and people are still arguing about this movie and writing books and articles about it, you know, to this day, more than 30 years later, because it's, you know, it's a fucking classic. It's, it's so well done. That's what I think. Caleb, what do you think about this movie? <laughs> I mean, so much, uh, like, the first 80% of the movie is like a vibrant comedy over the course of one day. And it is that until it isn't. Uh, and yeah. it, that rings very true. And like you're saying, like the um, Malcolm X, uh, uh, Martin Luther King di- dynamic, uh, it's also brought by the character Smiley, who's uh, selling a picture of them together, which I think, believe is the only picture ever of them together. He's just going around trying to sell that picture. Yeah, uh, And it's also brought in to by this... Uh, patriarch matriarch like uh love hate uh violence by um two of the great actors in it ossie davis and ruby d who play uh demayer and mother sister and they play this like one's a guy on the streets they're outlier one's more just being like don't do that types uh, uh it, it, there's so much like thought put into this movie uh, a through line that he can have so much fun and interesting things throughout it like uh there's a character named uh, Slick Dick Willie. Uh, Spike Lee plays Mookie, who just is a pizza delivery guy and just delivers pizza the whole day. And we get to see the neighborhood, pe- the characters who just go up and down the street, which is, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Lexington and Quincy, which I believe is now renamed Do the Right Thing Way. Yeah, so it's it's it's, it's the block between Lexington and Quincy on Stuyvesant. Um, yeah, Stuyvesant, I mean, I didn't Stuyvesant, necessarily yeah. want to get into this this early and talking about the movie, but like a big part of my <laughs> relationship to this movie at this point is like I've lived in bed for 15 years since I was 22 and almost 16 years now. And so this movie was entirely shot on this one block of uh, Stuyvesant between Quincy, which is the street that I live on, and Lexington. So this is maybe like a 10 minute walk from my house, 15 minute walk from my house. Um, and it's funny to go there. I went there today. Um, you wouldn't. There's not really any. There is literally a sign that one of the street signs on the block says do the right thing way. But other than that, you would have, you know, it's not like there's plaques to this movie everywhere or something. But it's so funny to me because to me, it's like such a perfect piece of art and it so encapsulates the spirit of the neighborhood. I mean, having, you know, in a certain sense, I grew up in Bed-Stuy, right? Like I moved here when I was straight out of college. I didn't know dick about shit. And like, I grew up here and I became who the person that I am living in Bed-Stuy and like, you know, so did Spike Lee and watching this movie. I mean, right. It took place more than 30 years ago, but 
so much of it is the same. I mean, it was crazy to to watch. I mean, not beyond what we're talking about, about like the issues in society that this movie gets right. It gets right, like living in Bed-Stuy, like exactly right. It's exactly right. Like there's different <laughs> groups of people and they're like different ethnicities and different ages and they have like different points of view. And that is fucking what it's like here. And I mean, also it's just like good filmmaking, right? Because you're getting so many different diverse points of view in the movie. But like, you know, that's what it's like to grow up somewhere like this. And that's, that's why I love it. I mean, that's why I want to raise my, my own child here because it like it gives you such an interesting diverse point of view on the world to get to spend so much time with so many different kinds of people and like and the way just the way people interact with each other on the block like there's you know spike lee's characters named mookie and like he's mother sister is like hanging out the window and mookie's walking down the block and she starts yelling at him about like the weather and he's like oh, i know and you know, they just had chat for like a minute and then he's like, all right, mother, sister, you know, I'll, I'll see you around. And she's like, okay, that's yeah. fucking exactly what it's like to live here. I do that shit like all day, every day. Like it was really cool, honestly. Um, and it's nice, you know, even though I'm a white person and I'm a gentrifier in a certain way, although like I live in a rent stabilized apartment, so I didn't raise the value of anything anywhere, <laughs> you know, in my defense. Um, you know, it was good to see my experience in a certain way reflected back in the movie because it's like, you know, I, I don't like to get too overboard with thinking like I belong here or anything, but I, I recognize so much in that movie. I mean, it made me feel really good. Yeah, it's a uh, he's it's the mark of how great it is. It just really like attaches itself because it's such a fucking real movie. Like every character feels like a fully realized person. They're not caricatures. Uh, maybe at first blush, they seem like uh, over the top like characters. Uh, the Italian pizza guy, the guy who carries on the boombox. But no, like they're all very have like fully formed thoughts. Uh, like so many characters are just like feel super real. Like even uh, like, like Martin Lawrence, one-off character. Oh my has, God. Martin like, Lawrence is in this movie is yeah. like he's so annoying, and he's doing some kind of weird voice where he's acting like yeah, he's, like yeah. he has brain damage or something. Like <laughs> it is one of my favorite scenes. And he doesn't say the line, but one of my favorite lines in the in any movie ever uh, is uh, it, with a gentrifier scene. He's wearing a Larry Bird jersey, which is such a nice touch. It's great, um, right? It's great. He's pushing a bike. The Larry Bird guy is and hits. A uh, bug and ounce uh, sneaker. He steps on his Jordans, uh, man. His brand dude, and they dude, when they show the scuff on his Jordans, like that is a serious dude, fucking scuff. I love sneakers, is, dude. Um, I would be fucking mad if someone scuffed my shoes like that. The line is, "Yo, man, your Jordans are fucked up." Uh, which is just like, if I ever, I, I think I have heard that like so much in my life, like, "Yo, fucked up your shoes, man." Uh, it's just. A, a great line for great. me. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about lines from the movie that we like have thought about our whole lives, my this was really popular with my friend group in like late high school into college. So this is, I mean, basically my girlfriend at the time. We used to watch this movie all the time and we would quote it all the time and stuff. But like, we haven't really mentioned up to this point. Uh, one of the running things in it is Samuel L. Jackson is this like DJ and it's kind of like the DJ oh, yeah. character in the warriors or something where he's like, you know, the Greek chorus of the movie. Um, and he's supposed to just be like in a storefront on the street in bedside, which I was like, I wish we had that now. But um, one of the things he keeps saying, he says like, and that's the truth. truth. And then he says, and that's the double <laughs> truth. And then yeah, at the end double. of the movie, he says, and that's the triple truth. Ruth. We used to say that to each other all the time. That's the triple truth, Ruth. Like, the fucking that's a good line, man. Once you hear that, I don't. I've been thinking about it my whole fucking life for twenty five years. I've been thinking about that. A very powerful movie, Motherfuck. Radio Rahim is dead, which we could get into now because that was uh, probably the spur of this movie. Uh, oh wait, before we get into this, movie. can I just say one other okay. thing? Which is you were talking about the strength of the characters, uh, mm -hmm. and I would just like to say that I really agree with you. Um, 
I think one of the real strengths of this movie too is that every character, almost every single character, you see them be like loving and tender and you see them be like completely irrational assholes and you you see them do things and you're like, you completely sympathize with them and you see them do things and you think like, why the fuck are you doing that? That's so stupid. Um, and I think that's like amazing. I mean, how often does that happen in a film? Like never, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's so well written and acted and directed. Yeah, it's uh, Spike Lee, hundred percent. Like he's in in a lot of movie visually because he's an actor in it. But like he puts so many of his uh, what he does best on the screen: dialogue, his dolly shot. Well, there's no dolly shot in this movie, but just like the looking at the camera and talking. Uh, there's just so much to Spike in this movie that like it's rightfully probably his most well known movie, uh, and it's a movie that everyone should revisit. So we don't care about spoiling it for you when we say. Uh, Radio Rahim gets murdered in the street by cops. Yeah, I mean, it's like the most famous thing about the movie, right? Radio Rahim gets like choked out yeah. in the street by cops, which is like, it's a, how is that still? I mean, it just boggles your mind because like they made chokeholds illegal for the NYPD in like 1993, I think, because they were choking people to death. They continued to choke people to death. And they just made chokeholds illegal again. <laughs> and you're like, they were already fucking illegal. Just like arrest and send to jail the people that do it. Like, yeah. Uh, I was uh, in, this is in the commentary for the DVD of Do the Right Thing, uh, where uh, Spike talks about the actual, does Mookie do the right thing? Uh, Mookie, after Radio Him is dead, Mookie, uh, this is in front of the pizza parlor where he works. Uh, Mookie and it's throws because of a fight thing. that started in the pizza parlor. Yeah. Uh, Moki is the one who instigates the riot that ensued because he and he throws a garbage can through the window. Uh, and he says in the commentary that when he's asked, does Moki always do the right thing? He says it's always white people who always ask him that, <laughs> which is very, very telling. Uh, like, especially looking at as our situation right now, like a, a, a man died. Building like buildings can get rebuilt. Uh, businesses can make money again. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting uh, because, like, back to life. the, like, I, I read, there was some viral tweet from around when Ferguson happened, which, uh, which was uh, someone saying, you know, everybody asks, did Mookie do the right thing about, you know, throwing the garbage can through the window? But nobody asks, like, did the police do the right thing to murder Radio Rahim? Like, it tells yeah. you everything you need to know that that's the part of the movie that people fixate on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird that this movie, when it came out, was controversial uh, because of that, like, People thought it was going to, uh, white people thought it would start riots. Like it would help inspire rioting, which is just like, yeah, you're caught. Like I said earlier, it's 80, 80, 85% of the movie is just a hot Saturday. <laughs> it's almost like a fucking Tennessee Williams movie. People, it's like yeah. the, the, the light is just really bright and people keep dabbing their forehead with handkerchiefs and going, who ma, it's a scorcher. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like a high school play, you know, almost. Uh, Spike does play those scenes really up, like the the three guys, uh, the Greek chorus in the back who uh, always talk. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of race stuff too, with uh, especially with uh, he works for Italian people, and there's a Korean grocer down uh, across the street from them. I mean, dude. Uh, so yeah, there's this whole thing with there's a Korean grocer, and this comes to a head during the riot, where it's basically like, you know, all the black people on the block like hate all the hate the Korean people, and they're always making fun of them. I mean, there's this scene where Radio, there's this really complicated again scene with Radio Rahim, where he's like yelling at them. He's trying to get 
20 d batteries for his boom yeah. box which is like how the fuck much do 20 d batteries cost <laughs> how much would that weigh like i can't believe that radio rahim is doing this like all the time <laughs> buying 20 d batteries but like he's he's you know saying like oh speak fucking english when to speak english you fucking come here like you know yeah. and then there's in the final riot scene they are the korean grocers are saying like we're black like you like we're black and then the that black people are saying, no, we're black. <laughs> like, we're black. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting, though, because it's like they view themselves as being a minority. And it's like, well, we're both minorities, you know. But that's not how the black people on the block flee the Korean people. And like, I mean, I will say when I first moved into Bedside, dude, there was this there's this Chinese food place around the block called Hing's Kwok. That's like, you know, it's a Chinese food place. It's run, run by Chinese people. And like in the old old days like it was wild to go into that place like people were so racist towards the the people that owned that chinese food place they would basically stand behind the so it's like a huge plexiglass thing and they would like never open the door and there would be like eight people in the front of the shop like going on and on about like like the like making fun of their accents and like talking about how they wanted to beat them up. And I mean, it's just like this movie because in ra- ra- the grocer says to Radio Rahim, like, motherfuck you. And Radio Rahim goes, motherfuck me. You're all right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I saw that happen in real life. Like, I saw the two people in Hanks Quack be like, fuck you. I'll kill you. And they're like, oh, listen to this motherfucker. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. There's like just a lot of just tiny things that like, oh, that does happen in real life. Uh, I don't know. Uh, th- when you talk about shower scenes in movie, people usually think of seeing girls' boobs. But I always think of uh, it's super hot and Mookie just taking uh, the nozzle head and just like going woo because <laughs> it's so hot. Like that's a I take a shower in the middle of the day if I want to. <laughs> Fuck Sal. <laughs> it's a, a modern classic. I mean, this is like my I don't know. I can't even tell how many scenes I've seen this movie. I remember watching. I don't think I've seen it like a crazy amount of times. I mean, like five or six times. But like, you know, there's things you pick up and notice. Uh, like this time I was really like, oh yeah, uh, John guess Carlo Esposito is really one of our great actors. <laughs> like he's absolutely unrecognizable in this, but at the same time, like still very much uh, a signature role for him. He was bugging, he was bugging out. Oh bugging no, out. right, right, right. Yeah, bugging out great. is so annoying. Like bugging out and his whole crew, but th- this is what I'm talking about in the movie. Like bugging out is so annoying and he's always at uh-huh. 11 and he's always starting shit, but also he's not wrong. You know, he's right. Yeah, he's not wrong, yeah. He's just like annoying, you know. Um I he also points out uh to Radio Ahim and he's kind of afraid of Radio Ahim uh that Radio Ahim only plays the same song, same CD over again, which I never noticed, but like I guess he is playing just uh, Fight the Power the whole time. He's like I don't like anything else. <laughs> Which is like pretty good. That's pretty good. It's dope, is what he says. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb, let's say that you had to, you know, let's just keep it simple and say die tragically. If you didn't uh, pick which of these two movies you liked better, uh, Defy Bloods or Do the Right Thing. Uh, you know, I'm gonna pick Do the Right Thing, but with uh, Defy Bloods, like I'm still like, you know, I, I liked it, and I'm coming down off of the high of it, and just like understanding, like the themes they're putting out and like, it, it's a very complicated movie. And yeah, uh, I thought it was shot very well. It's a very cool movie and probably one of the best we'll see this year in this odd year of 2020. Uh, but he gets to make a movie like that because of the bedrock that do the right thing built for his career. Like absolutely. Like uh, it's going to be on par with like, uh, like a Hitchcock movie or like, 
or a relevant movie, a Gone with the Wind. Like it's going to be like looked on in like sixty years from now. Like oh yeah, that was the movie of its time. Yeah, I mean, because uh, it, it, it just communicates so much about society, and it's yeah. such a beautifully made film. I mean, we didn't even really talk about the filmmaking, but it's like. Uh, one of my favorite things about it is the way it um, there's two different sequences in the movie where it's morning and people are waking up and especially mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. I mean, it's it's like a storybook, like the way they show the block waking up. It's like this soft jazz music is playing. The lighting is absolutely perfect. Everybody just kind of seems like they're doing their beginning of the day routine. It's like. Oh my god, it's just so perfect. It's so sweet and human mm-hmm. and like immediately you can put yourself in all of these people's shoes and you just never see that kind of shit in a movie. You just never do. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, uh it's 1989 New York. Uh, that's what life was like then. Uh we also almost did I'll just mention this which we might cut out. Uh we almost did this movie uh Just Mercy which you could rent for free on Amazon. Uh and that was also set in uh the late 80s, 1989, uh, but in Alabama. And like the contrast of that was like so fucking like mind blowing to me when I was, uh, when we were going to do those two films. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, just will be fine. I mean, so I also picked Do the Right Thing uh, over The Five Bloods, or although Do The Five Bloods is a good movie. You know, it's on Netflix, it's free. I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, mm-hmm. But if we're going to, you know, which is better? I mean, it's Do the Right Thing, yes. Um, what I mm-hmm. like about do the right thing and maybe this is me being like a will a milquetoast white person who's afraid of confrontation or something but what what i like about a movie like this and even a movie like get on the bus is like they're they're you know they're they do the ultimate filmic thing where they show and don't tell they're not didactic films they're not lectures they're like poignant portraits of black humanity and they're like they just are from the point of view of black people and about black people living their lives as black people. And then, you know, as race comes into that world, they have to deal with issues of, of race, you know, and even in Mm -hmm. get on the bus where the whole thing is animated about race. It's not, that's not what's happening every second of the movie. Right. Um, And I think that's so much more interesting than a movie where it's just like, you know, characters lecturing each other on, yeah, it's not preachy. he's not a preachy director at all. He just brings out ideas and lets you think about them. He lets he's probably even think about it. He's going through it too. And uh, just to view a thought process is very powerful. Yeah, uh, in general, it's beautiful. Uh, though I I would like to hear. Uh, I might look this up directly after this. Um, <laughs> Black Clansman was about uh, police officers, so I'd love to hear what Spike has to say currently about yeah, right. the current thing in June of 2020. Well, it's about police officers, but also the <laughs> cops are kind of the bad guys in the movie because it's like they won't let the black cop do anything, you know, so they like, he That's has true. to kind of invent this whole thing to do. Yeah, but still. Still. Curious what Spike's thinking. That's true. That's true. That's true. As he's a person we look to, which is why we did a podcast about episode about him. He's, he's a person such an we... intelligent guy. Great Brooklynite. He's still got 40 Acres and a Mule Productions right there in Fort Greene, you know, right next to the park. That's like one of the, yeah, right you know, I was talking about the, like, how you don't really see a lot of sh- do the right thing shit. I mean, there's so much biggie stuff around Brooklyn. I mean, including on my block, like this huge m- mural of biggie. Mm-hmm. But like, there's hardly any do the right thing shit next to 40 acres and a mule they have like a cool radio rahim mural which like i don't even know if that's new I, I i don't know how long it's been there but um i noticed it anew let's say like a month ago it's great it's great i wish there was more shit like that i wish there was like a big mural on that on the block on you know yeah i do too there's not like a a good a good deep cut reference and it's funny because there is actually there's a vacant lot across the street from sal's 
which like that is still a vacant lot. <laughs> and I, yeah. I don't, there should be a big do the right thing mural in that building, but there's, there's not, it's funny. Sal's is like, it was, it was some, it's some, it, it looks like it's a funeral parlor. I don't know that it's a funeral parlor, but it looks like it's a funeral parlor. I forget what the name of it is, but it's still there. The building is still there. It was all closed up real tight. It didn't really look like it was closed for COVID. It looked like it closed in like, you know, 1993 or something, but like, it was cool. I was glad to see the building was still there. Uh, I mean, the most ironic thing to burn down is uh, whatever that location yeah, that goes to. Fucked up. <laughs> um, so that's the show for this week, everybody. Hooray, what a good job we did. Everybody's, everything turned out so great. Good work. Good work, Caleb. Well, not everything. Well, We're still working on it. We're still working on it. I mean, not in the world, but in the show. Thanks for nothing. Not in the show. Okay. okay, all right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, guys. Love y'all. Is there something about Green Book that offends you? This is what I'm trying to get to. Offend? Are you British? Yeah. Are you British? I am. Let me give you a British answer. It was my cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Not my cup of tea!